Heavenly Father, we, we come again to your word. Um, we come um, either out of a mad rush or a little bit of chaos or uh, maybe mixed feelings, um, different roads that we all come. We come from prosperity. We come from failure. We come from uh, stress. We come from relief, from vacation, from, um, from work. We're, we're a mixed bag um, brought together for this time to hear from you. May we hear from you through your word. Uh, Lord, may we, we listen with ears uh, that you've given us to the voice that is speaking. And may um, our consideration of this, the written word, reveal to us the living word, Jesus. We pray this all in his name. Amen. All right, so today we're in this series um, that we've been, we've been diving into, right? Glad you asked. And someone asked me about the book of Philemon. All right, so right away, some of you who've been in church for a while will notice that I pronounce that name differently than you've probably heard it. Um, most people in New England butcher this name and call it Philemon. Um, I, my assumption is that that pronunciation comes from Philene's basement. Because there is no other way you get Philemon out of this name. All right, so this guy's name is Philemoni. Philemon. Uh, Philemoni. Uh, Philemoni. All right. So we call him Philemon, all right, because we dropped the I off. Um, and his wife's name is Apphia. Apphia. Um, so um, these are weird names. I understand that. Um, these people didn't speak English. Um, but um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this. We're going to look at this letter. It's a very short letter. And in a few minutes, that handout that's inside the bulletin that some of you looked at and gone, oh, no, he's doing it again. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to take a few minutes, we're going to talk a little bit about the letter, and then what I'm going to do is invite you to form some groups all over the sanctuary, um, and you can move chairs around so you can sit in a circle, uh, you can sit on the floor if you really, really want to, um, don't, don't do anything too outrageous, don't shove anybody out the window or anything like that, but, um, but we want to break up into little groups and we want to take some time and, and discuss... Um, the book. And what you're going to do as a group, you're going to actually as a group read through the whole letter, all right, of Philemon. So you're going to read through this whole letter from Paul uh, to Philemon. And then as a group, more than two, all right, two or more, less than seven, all right. Um, so a group means there's more than one person. Because as soon as I printed this, I was like, someone's going to go, a group of any size, I'm a group of one. All right, you can't do that. You've got to have more than one person in your group. So two to seven, um, a little bit of flexibility there with little ones and stuff like that. Um, try to pair up with somebody. We're going we're gonna to take some time. I want to give you guys some time to consider the passage on your own, and then we're going to come back and talk a little bit about it. So let me give you just real quick a little bit of background about this book before you get in there and read it. Um, Philemon was a uh, homeowner, a patron, um, a... Uh, a, a home manager, uh, the Greeks, uh, the, um, the Latins would call him a, a patron or a patronus, um, a, a father, a leader of a household um, in the city of Colossae. Now, Colossae is on um, the, uh, the Lycos River, uh, and the Lycos River is part of the Meander Valley. 
If you've ever heard somebody talk about, oh, well, we're just going to go meandering, right? You've heard that word. That's actually named after, that word comes from a river in what is today Turkey. It's called the meander, all right? Um, and the meander river does exactly what it sounds like it does. All right, all over the place. It, it wanders all over the place through this valley. Well, anyway, Colossae, Hierapolis, and uh, a, a city called Laodicea, um, which is usually pronounced in English as Laodicea. Those three cities kind of form a, um, a, a, a little metropolis at the base of some mountains, at the, at the kind of the beginning of the, the Lycos River and the Meander Valley. Um, and they were, they're, they're Greek-speaking cities, they're under Roman authority, um, and in the 60s AD, shortly after this letter was written, these three cities were completely destroyed by an earthquake, um, and so we know very, very little about what this city was like when Paul writes to um, the church. So he did write a letter called Colossians. Um, and that's a letter to the church of Colossae, and he sends it to them um, carried by two people. Uh, the first is a, is a man named Tychicus, um, and Tychicus is uh, some kind of leader in the church, and the second is uh, a man, I think a young man, by the name Onesimus. Um, now, Onesimus um, is the subject of the letter to Philemon. Uh, Onesimus is a very interesting name. If you look his name up in a dictionary, the dictionary says that his name means useful. Uh, I have looked all over my Greek dictionaries and I can't find a word that sounds like Onesimus that means useful. I don't know where that came from. Um, but uh, his name seems to be a non-Greek name. Most likely, Onesimus is a, was a young man who was captured in warfare of some kind and sold into slavery and purchased by Philemon um, and his wife Abphia and made a part of his household. Now on the back of the bulletin, there's some stuff about Roman slavery. Um, I'm not going to get into all the details. I just want you to remember this simple thought. Everything you learned about American slavery in school does not apply. This is not New World, what we call chattel slavery. All right, chattel slavery is where people, because of a look or appearance, the color of their skin, the place where they come from, their religion, they are all basically made into beasts of burden for a people of a different ethnicity and they are bought and sold and controlled. Roman slavery, the, we use the word slavery for it, but that's not, it's not the same thing. It's a completely different economic structure. Um, in, in Rome, a slave was a part of your household. And you owned the slave's labor, not his body. All right? Um, and, and that sounds like an odd distinction, but there were actually very specific laws about um, abusing a slave. And there were certain responsibilities that a master had. Uh, the word for master um, is really easy to remember uh, if you know the word despot. Like a ruler is a despot, despotism. Um, the word is despotis in Greek. Um, in Latin, it's patronus, father, um, the father figure. Not patronus like Harry Potter, 
that that's completely different um but uh but the these this he was the the master of the household and a slave was just anyone who was a part of that household who entered that household um through any financial means other than being a child of the parents all right in order to be part of that household there had to be a legally binding relationship um, and so the Greek word doulos, um, we translate it as slave or servant or bond servant is actually a better translation, but still not a great one. But those words evoke images. When I say the word slave, the first thing that pops into your mind is not a voluntary thing. It's, it's a, a, it, if I say the word slave in every one of our heads, we see a person with light skin owning a person with dark skin. That's just part of our heritage. That's how we think. That is not what's going on here. But if I say the word servant, probably an image of Alfred from Batman pops into your head. That's also not right. Or a maid, you know, a French maid or something. That's also not what's going on here. It is a, a non-related person who is brought into a household in a legal contract. And Onesimus was probably a young man who was a prisoner of war, a, a captured during battle, sold into slavery, and became a part of the household of Philemon. Um, and Apphia. Uh, my guess is he's probably in his 20s. Um, now that is entirely a guess, but it was actually against the law to free someone before the age of 30. So, um, but often pe slaves who worked well for their masters were freed at the end of their time. So he's probably in his 20s. Paul is in Rome. He is imprisoned. He is waiting for his execution orders. This is one of the last books that Paul writes. Um, and it is attached to the book of Colossians. So you can imagine the, the situation. Onesimus is a, is a slave, a servant, a doulos in the house of Philemon. He has gone to Rome. Um, Paul is there in Rome. He gets Onesimus, Tychicus, a couple of other people. He's going to send a letter back to Colossae. So he says to Tychicus and Onesimus, I'm sending you back to Colossae. All right. So now you imagine the moment when Tychicus and Onesimus, they show up at the house of Philemon. That's where the church meets. A slave who has run away and one of the leaders of the church and they show up and Tychicus says, I have a letter for the church. He reads the letter of Colossians. He finishes and then he goes, and I have a letter for Philemon about Onesimus. And he reads the letter we're about to read together for him. So here's what we want to do. We're going to take a few minutes, break up in a group, more than, more than one, two to seven. All right, let's try to shoot in that group. You can reorganize yourselves however you want. Lean over chairs. Um, turn the chairs around so you're facing each other. Uh, do whatever you want to do. But we're going to take that handout. And we're going we're gonna to read, read the letter of, Ephesians, of Philemon to each other. And then we're going to take about 15 minutes and go through those questions. All right? Go!
All right, we got about six minutes. Six minutes. Three minutes. So just mark C in the bubbles and keep going. C, C, C.
One minute. One minute. I had a grandma, I know it'll crochet. Thirty seconds. Don't worry if you don't get all the answers, it's okay, you can take it home. Okay, so you can go back to your seats or you can stay where you are. It doesn't really matter. If you, go, if you as your group want to stay together, that's perfectly fine. I don't mind. If you want to move back to your seats, that's okay. So let's, let's, talk, about, let's talk about this book for a minute. Um, and, and I'm going to work my way down the list, and, and we can kind of throw out some answers. There's no right, wrong answers or not. This is, this is just we want to work our way through this, the themes of this, this book. And I want to let you know that what, the reason Philemon is in the Bible is that through in this very short book, Paul works through the practical applications of all of the theology he presents in his other, other books. Grace, justification, the old man and the new man, slave to Christ, um, you know, uh, bro Christian brotherhood. Um, uh, it, it's just, it's all in there and it's packed in there really, really well. Um, but uh, Philemon is one of the only letters that Paul does not open with the statement, a servant of Jesus Christ. Why would Paul make that choice given the circumstances of the letter? Why would he choose not to call himself a servant of Christ here? Any thoughts? Okay, it's kind of a subletter, all right? Okay, he's he's addressing a situation that's very tied to the Roman law where servant has a very specific meaning. Mark He's not speaking to the church. He's speaking to an individual. So he's, he's addressing Philemon as a peer. And remember, Philemon is the person whose house the church meets in. So he's a, a leader in the church. Other thoughts? So from as you read Philemon, and I know you guys didn't have hours to study this, but what impression do you get of Onesimus' relationship to Philemon before Paul wrote this letter? What are your impressions of the situation. All right, he's his, his servant. He, Onesimus is Philemon's slave, for sure. He's useless, right? Paul actually says in verse 11, he who was useless to you before is now made useful, useful, right? So he seems to have been maybe not that great of a servant. All right. He ran away, all right? He ran away. Uh, I mentioned, by the way, in the back of the bulletin, a little note there. I don't know if you caught it, but a, a, 
a Roman slave, because he was considered the, you know, legally considered property, he could not actually steal from his master. Because he was property carrying property. So there, there was no way to prosecute a slave for stealing, stealing property. In fact, the owner of the slave, the master, could be pr- prosecuted for having such a bad slave that, his, that he mismanaged his resources. Kind of a weird thing about Roman law. I read way too much Roman law and slavery this week. Um, it was really interesting. I had no idea how many cases there were. There were a lot. Um, so, so would we say that Onesimus and Philemon had a good relationship before this? No. It seems pretty obvious that there was some strain, there was some difficulty. Um, Paul also never uses the title apostle, which I thought was interesting. He chooses instead to describe himself as a prisoner. Um, and Paul is imprisoned. I think he's imprisoned in Rome in this book. I'm not the, there's other opinions about where he was imprisoned, but um, he interacts with him as a peer or brother. P- Paul calls two other people in Colossae his brothers. All right, did you guys catch the, who are the two people that he calls brothers? Did you look that up? Tychicus and Onesimus. Um, and so, but what, what does Paul not call Onesimus in Colossians? He does not call him a slave. He does not call him a servant. That's a really interesting move that he chooses not to do that. Um, so then this is a little bit of a, quite, a little a expansion question, but what makes somebody uh, a brother or sister in Christ? Paul uses the term brother a lot in this, in this letter. What makes someone a brother or sister in Christ? All right, Christ. All right. Uh, shared experiences. Shared faith. All right. Um, we are, we're brothers and sisters because of Christ, right? So we're brothers and sisters with Christ, which makes us brothers and sisters with each other. Um, and how does this relationship alter how we see or treat each other in the church? Now that's an interesting question, isn't it? So there's a sense in which those distinctions do not exist in the church. What does James have to say about our behavior toward one another in the church? If you're familiar with the, the epistle to James. He talks about don't give preference to somebody just because he's got a nice ring on or he's wearing pretty clothes. That the church, any di- differences we might have here on earth are leveled out before the glory of Christ. That what we think is a huge distinction difference um, is really um, not that big of a difference um, when you really look at it in terms of Christ. Now, we'd all agree, right, that Onesimus probably did something pretty serious. Um, is Paul justified in his request that Philemon treat Onesimus as a beloved brother? Is, there, is, there, is Paul right to, to, to... He doesn't demand it. He actually goes out of his way saying, I'm not demanding this, but I would expect that you would do this. It's like kind of a... It, it kind of borders on passive-aggressive, right? It's like, it's like I'm not going to command you to do this thing, but I sure hope you obey. 
Did you notice that at the end? He's like, I expect your obedience to this thing I'm not demanding you to do. Would we, is Paul justified in his request? Yes. Why? All right. To whom much is given, right? Much is expected, right? Much is required. If you've been forgiven, now, now what's, and we're going we're gonna to get into this in the next one, so I don't want to get ahead, but Philemon, Philemon seems to have, see, I just flipped, did it. Uh, Philemon seems to have had a reputation for being a good host. It, the description is that he welcomes weary believers into his home. Or he refreshes the, uh, he refreshes, this is my favorite turn of phrase, he refreshes the bowels. Now we have inner being or heart there, but the Greek word is actually, is actually their bowels. He refreshes the bowels of the, of the brethren. Um, I, I, I'm going to leave that right there. Um, but uh, the word comfort, the comfort in verse 7 is the translation of the same Greek word as appeal in verses 9 and 10. It's the word parakalo. Um, parakalo is, we, we get the word paraclete, comforter. The Holy Spirit is called our comforter. All right, parakalo means to come alongside. Um, it means to encourage, to stand alongside. If you think about it, think of parakalo as... Um, you are, if you've ever done any running or something and you're lagging at the end and somebody, your coach comes and runs alongside you, go, go, go. That's what parakalo means. Um, and, and so how do you see Paul coming alongside Onesimus in his appeal to Philemon? How is he advocating for Onesimus? Jed? Paul, Paul says, if there's anything that he that he owes you, I'll, I'll pay it. I'm willing to pay it. All right, what else does he do? He uses some language, some very interesting language. What does he say um, the relationship between him and Onesimus is? He says, I'm sending my very, which again is the translation of that Greek, that Greek word, which means colon. Um, the Greeks, the Greeks had an interesting way of thinking where emotions were. Anyway, um, he said, "I'm very, sending my very heart." All right. What else does he say? I have become a father to him. Now we may not catch this. All right, but there's a thing in Roman law called adrogation, the adrogatio. Um, what it is is when a slave was freed. He received for himself all of the property that he had acquired in the name of the master through his management. And often a slave, the freedman, did not want to actually handle all the legal responsibility of that. And so he would actually be adopted by his master. He would be aggregated, literally made, this may sound familiar to those of you that studied the Bible, a new man. Adragos, all right. Uh, ad, you know, we android, right? The the Greek uh, the Greek word there. It's related to the the Latin word that means this adoption, this adoption process. And what he would do is he would accept his master as his father. So when Paul says to him, "I have taken him. I've become a father to him. I, I've I've brought him into my neighborhood." Paul is basically saying, "I'm willing to be his patronus if you're not." I'm willing to step up and be um, his master. Now, it's really interesting because Paul is a Roman citizen 
um, he actually had the legal right to do that. Um, he could actually adopt a slave out of another person's household and pay the money to that person. So he actually had the legal right to do that. Um, so, and, and the second one, why does Paul feel that Philemon should likewise come alongside Onesimus? Now, this is an interesting, this is a, a question I, I, we don't have time to unpack the whole thing, but why, why should Philemon come alongside Onesimus, his slave who escaped and probably stole from him, why should he do that? Now we can say because he's a Christian and all Christians do good things. Let's get that Sunday school question out of the answer out of the way. What is it about Philemon being a believer, about Philemon's character that Paul is appealing to here? What? Mercy? Brotherhood? Redemption? What is Philemon's reputation? He welcomes weary believers. You extend refreshing and care for those who are worn and tired. Shouldn't that also extend to the slave that comes out of your household? Right? It's interesting. I mean, Paul, this is a master class in, in what, I, what I would kind of refer to as, as um, guerrilla tactic leadership. Paul, Paul is writing in such a way that Philemon's probably going to think this is his idea, right, to do this. Now, Onesimus had become useful and more than a servant. It seems that Paul's expectation was for Onesimus to be welcomed back into service. How is it possible that Onesimus could remain a slave in Philemon's house and still be Philemon's Christian brother? How does that work? Responsibility versus relationship. Okay. He, he was useless and now he's useful. He, he was a slave, now he's more than a slave because he's a beloved friend. How is this going to change Onesimus' attitude toward the work he does for Philemon? Right. He's saying to Philemon, don't, don't just throw this opportunity away. Before you had a bit of a troublemaker, a useless slave, now you have someone who's willing to work for the Lord in your household. So you don't get in the way of what God is trying to do. Um, but does our union in Christ remove automatically our earthly obligations to one another? It does not, right? It does not. And so often people want to rely on the Christian relationship, the relationship of brotherhood. How many of you have ever had a Christian take advantage of you in a business or financial situation because you were Christians? That never happens, right? You, you never, ever have that happen, right? Um, unfortunately, people tend to rely on the idea, well, we're Christians. We can't sue each other. You know, so really sorry that that didn't work out, but um, hopefully you can absorb that. Uh, I had a I had a guy um, steal thousands of dollars from me. Um, he he borrowed it from me, was going to pay me back, da 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 da. And then one day he said, "Well, he says all that money's gone, 
I'm not going to be able to pay you back, but I, I trust in your Christian charity that you'll be okay with that. Like, oh, okay. Now, ironically, um, I have this philosophy that if I borrow something, I plan to never see it again. So um, I don't loan out things that I can't afford to live without. Uh, so, but, uh, but does our brotherhood and sisterhood in Christ, what does it require of us in those relationships? Right? When we, we have these earthly com, uh, relationships, whether it's marriage or friendship or employer-employee or, or whatever, can you imagine if you had to go to church with the guy who held the title on your mortgage? Now, I know we don't personally finance mortgages anymore. We, it's some nameless corporation. Um, but back in the day, your local banker had the title to your house. Imagine that relationship, how tense church could get, communion, right? And that sort of a relationship. The letter to Philemon deals with a situation, I'm not going to ask you to bring these up, but it deals with a situation we do not encounter today, at least in its specifics. Um, still, it has a lot to tell us about our relationships within the church. And what I want you to do is be able to walk away and maybe think about it this week, what are two or three practical pieces of wisdom you have drawn from this letter? And I just want to share, you, share with you mine. And I appreciate you guys preaching the sermon for me today. Here's the little bit that I, I grabbed here. And it's the question I ask myself. Because I think it's the question that Paul asks Philemon. Does your faith go all the way through? Now, what do I mean by that? Does my practice of hospitality flow through all of my relationships? Does my willingness to give grace flow through all of my relationships? Um, Do I have roadblocks or relationships or people where my faith does not creep into that part? And if that's true, have I been called on the carpet as Paul does to Philemon about that relationship and probably did it to Onesimus. I I imagine Paul had a sit down with this young man where he said to him, he says, do you think as a servant of Christ that your reception of his faithfulness to you is compatible with your failure to be faithful to your master? And Onesimus going, I don't really like this part of faith. This is uncomfortable. Um, Your commitment to this covenant, does it go all the way through? Um, Does it flow all the way through? Because so often our faith, the aspects of Scripture, we allow ideas or principles or concepts to flow through most of us, but not all of us. All right? Um, And Paul really lives out the embodiment of what it means to be justified in Christ. What it means to be a new man in Christ. He says, I've been justified by Christ. My ledger has been made clean and made righteous. And so as a believer, given the opportunity to help someone else live out that justification, have their ledger set right, have righteousness imputed to them, given a second chance, given an opportunity, um, he's going to live through it. Um, So the other thing that I'll leave you is just the awesome word that is translated as heart in your Bibles. 
because it's just one of those great Greek words that you'll love to take home with you. It's splagkin. Splagkin. Doesn't that sound like your colon? Splagkin. Right? Just such a weird word. You'll never forget that one. Anyway, it's S-P-L-A-G-H-E. Splagkin. Um, anyways, um, does your faith go all the way through? So I hope you'll take Philemon and maybe take your study sheet and go home and, and look through this little book again and just consider. Um, and I would challenge you, this is a, a little bit for you, the advanced people here. Go through this book and identify Paul's doctrine. It is all in there. He packs everything into, into this book. Um, he really just loads every single word is charged doctrinally. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, help us to live our lives, to take what we know, our knowledge, our theology, our doctrine, and like Paul, allow it to flow all the way through into every relationship we have. Lord, thank you for the questions that have been asked, the opportunity to discuss these things, for the willingness of the congregation to be able to do some weird stuff from time to time so that we might grow um, as a church and as followers of Christ together. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. My brothers and sisters, go in peace. My splagkeen goes with you.